I don't think I could ever do what my sister Mary does, my younger sister Mary. She's a special education teacher for severely handicapped, physically and mentally handicapped kids at the high school level. I'm going to show you a a picture of Ashika. She's 21 years old. They allow the the kids to stay in her class up till 21. Uh, But my sister says Ashika is one of the most joyous people that she has ever met. Um, But I, I don't know if I could do what my sister does teach these kids, hang out with kids like Ashika um, every day that she teaches. My sister shares that these kids are broken, but they are so full of love and kindness and caring. My sister says it's just oftentimes they, they can't express it like you and I would. They are so filled with that, but it gets stuck, it gets stuck in their bodies. Um, I don't know if I could do what my sister Mary does teaching kids like that. But I also don't know if I could do what Joseph, in the story that we'll share in a little bit, I'm not sure if I could do what Joseph has done. If you guys have been hanging around with us, we've been looking at the Christmas story or the pre-Christmas story. We looked first week of Advent, we looked at um, Zechariah and Elizabeth finding out that they're going to have a baby. And they're old, they're like a, like a miracle, they're going to have a miracle baby. And that baby was going to be something special. And the, the angel Gabriel shares that with, with Zechariah. Then that, angel, that same angel Gabriel shows up to Mary six months later and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Your baby is going to be Jesus. And then real quick, this is last week's story. Um, Mary quickly goes to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, by this time, is six months pregnant. Mary shows up, knocks on the door, and, and Elizabeth knows what Mary is going through. Elizabeth knows something about miracles. Um, and that's all through Luke's gospel. Today, we're going to look at Joseph's Uh, the story through Matthew's gospel. And last week we talked about there's a story that's missing from from Luke's gospel. We called it uh, the gap story. This is the gap story today, kind of Joseph's perspective about this whole Christmas or pre-Christmas story. But before I get into that, um, let me just share this, just to ground us a little bit. I'm not sure, um, sometimes in our yearnings for this season to be merry and bright, it is anything but that. Um, I heard someone say at a concert a couple weeks back, um, it's the most dysfunctional time of the year. And um, yesterday, yesterday was my one day of year that I go to the mall, and my wife and I were at Dick's. My wife and I were at Dick's, and uh, there's this, this mom uh, by herself with four kids, one in a stroller, and then three other girls, an older sister, and then two siblings. And the, the big sister picks up the little sister and is holding her, and the, the little sister obviously doesn't like it. And mom says, put your sister down, and she, and she goes like this. I watch this. Boop! <laughs> oh, it's, sing it with me. It's the most dysfunctional time of the year. It, it can be. It can be, can it? And I want us to be willing to acknowledge the messiness of life, especially this time of year, the struggle the struggle of life all the times, but especially at Christmas time. And for many of us this season, this Christmas time, it can be really, really, really hard time of the year. A messy time. A time that reminds us that all is not well with the world, all is not well with our world, all is not well with us, all is not well with our stuff. And as much as we want to make all things merry and bright in the original Christmas story, it's not. It's not either. It's tough and it's raw, and it's filled with uncertainty and doubt and struggle and hurt, just like our stories. 
It's messy. But here's the good news. Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with us. We are not alone. But here's the hard news. Sometimes it feels as if we are by ourselves, that we are alone. And I borrow a bunch of these thoughts from John Ortberg. He's one of my favorite authors, one of my favorite speakers. And he dives into the messiness of life, and especially the messiness of Christmas, and how it all developed. And we will dive into that as well. But, but here, here's the deal. Um, this morning, if, if all is well with your soul, if it all is well in your world with no struggle or suffering, and your understanding of God is, is clear with no doubt, you guys have permission to check out, okay? You guys can, like, look on your phone, pretend like you're taking notes, but just check out, work on your Christmas list, your, the things you've got to do this week, or even more so, if, I mean, if you've got it all together, I mean, I just encourage you, invite you to just go grab a cup of coffee from our coffee cafe and go Christmas shop, okay? And, and just a, a public service announcement for you guys in the room, we only have a week left of Christmas shopping, and, and uh, no excuses this year, no shops at Walgreens, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve, okay? Um, but, but here's the gospel story this morning. From Matthew's gospel, if you, if you have a Bible, I ask you to turn to it. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, starting with, the, starting with verse 18. We're going to skip over the first part of that chapter. That's the, that's the genealogy of Jesus. That's his family tree. We'll see later on. We'll touch on it later on. Jesus has got some stuff in his tree, just like all of us. Matthew 1.18, it's in your notes, it'll be up on the screen. If you have a Bible, it's always good to kind of see the context of where the story is. And just a quick reminder, everybody knows this, it's easier to get into heaven if you take notes at church. Um, <laughs> and who knows, there might be a test at the end, and you guys will be ready. Um, uh, but seriously, there's, there's, you know, I just want to encourage you to take, um, take notes. Um, there's also at the bottom of the, the sermon um, notes, there's a connect card. If you want to connect with us at some level, uh, just fill that out with as much as you're, you're willing to share with us. We give you the no hassle guarantee. We're not going to come bug you. We're not going to call you. We're not going to knock on your door. Just uh, welcome you and encourage you to take some next steps. There's also a, a prayer request uh, on the back of that. If you have any prayer requests, just fill it out. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. You can drop that off into the offering um, buckets up front, or there's one in the back, and you can also drop it off at the Welcome Center. But, but here we go, Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. And I ask you to listen carefully. These are God's words. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, came about. His mother Mary was pledged or engaged or betrothed to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she, Mary, was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and was a righteous man and did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We'll stop there for now. Engaged back in the day in ancient Israel, being betrothed, being, in, um, being pledged, was way more formal than being engaged in our day. In our day, being married is the legal thing. Being engaged is much more of an informal thing. If you're taking notes, point number one, being engaged or betrothed in ancient Israel was a formal contract. It was a contract between the husband-to-be and his family and the wife-to-be's family. Back in the day, Jewish culture, getting married was a two-part process. There was the pledge part, the betrothed part. That was the first part. That was the promise or the pledge. And then the second part was the homecoming, the consummation of the marriage. That usually took place a year or so later. So, so being engaged, it's a formal commitment, a contract that's signed in front of witnesses, 
When you are betrothed, it involves, among, among other things, the giving of the, the, the uh, bride price, or the ketubah, it's called. And Joseph would have paid that ketubah, that bride price, to Mary's family. And then he finds out, we presume from Mary, that Mary is pregnant. Mary has already had her conversation with the angel Gabriel. We don't know exactly how this played out, but in my mind, this is how I believe it plays out. Mary tells her fiancé, Joseph, 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 Joseph. Yes, I am pregnant, but I have not been unfaithful to you. I have not been with another man. This is by God. I'm having a child by God. And all of us in here, we can certainly understand why Joseph would have found this hard to believe. And he struggles with what to do. This is a kick in his stomach. This is a kick in his heart. Before this conversation, Joseph has this script in his life laid out. He believes that he'll marry Mary. He'll do his carpenter thing. Mary will do her her mom thing, her her wife, what the women did back in the day. Hopefully they will raise a family together. They'll be faithful. They'll be a faithful Jewish people and hopefully live happily ever after. Isn't that the way it's supposed to supposed to go with them and with us. Then this conversation happens and the wheels fall off. That ever happened in your life? You're cruising along and all of a sudden somebody whacks you aside the head with a two by four and everything has changed. Everything has changed. Joseph being a righteous man, the text says, a good man, He took following the Torah and the commands of God seriously. So he's wrestling what it means to be a righteous man to be a good man, to do what's right in the eye of the law. And point number two, here's Joseph, Joseph's options. Option number one, he, he could take Mary, he could trust Mary, he could believe Mary, he could take Mary as his wife and trust, wife, he could trust Mary as his wife and trust what she says is true, if you're taking notes. He could take Mary as his wife and trust what she says is true. And the second option, he could, he could make it a large and public divorce. He could make it scandalous. Unfaithfulness, sexual unfaithfulness during this betrothal time was considered adultery. And under the Jewish law, under the Jewish law, it carried the death penalty, death by stoning. Joseph had this option that was was within the law. And remember, he's he's a man who follows the law. But also, if he did this, this public divorce, he would get the bride price back. He would get the ketubah back that he paid towards Mary's family. And third option, this is the one he lands on, Joseph could have divorced Mary quietly. And this was actually a technical term, the idea of divorcing Mary quietly. Sort of a no-fault divorce in our day. Sort of in the engagement, you keep the ring. Mary's family could keep the money, the ketubah money. The The bride price would not have to be returned. Joseph lands on option three. Joseph decides that the good thing to do, the righteous thing to do, the right thing to do is to, is to divorce Mary quietly. He's not going to stay with her now that she's pregnant. Doesn't understand it, doesn't believe it, doesn't believe what Mary says, and he'll do it quietly and generously give up the bride price to Mary's family and do it in such a way as not to cause a scandal. He does not want to disgrace Mary publicly. Then that's when this angel dream happens, the second part of this story this morning. We're picking it up in verse 20. 
But after Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Every time an angel steps into the story and says, do not be afraid, I almost think that they play a game up in heaven. Let's see what they do this time because it takes the fear from here and goes way to here. (laughs) Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. That was the father's prerogative to name the son. All of this confirmed what the angel Gabriel had said to Mary. She will give birth, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, through Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. To me, what's striking about this story is the timing of when God finally shows up to Joseph. God allows Joseph to wrestle with what he should do. In Joseph's mind, the story, it's a mess. Nothing in the way that he thought it was going to play out. For Mary as well, but Joseph is the main character in this story today. And God doesn't show up at the beginning when Mary is telling Joseph she's pregnant. Joseph struggles with all of this. This is point number three. Joseph is forced to wrestle, to wrestle with what it means to be good. Ever wrestle, really wrestle with the decision. None of the options, at least that are presented to you, seem like good. They're all sort of, at best, mediocre. God knew Joseph would grow, just like you and me, in the messiness of all, in the wrestling, in the hurt, and the confusion, and the unknowing, and the anger, and not understanding. He's upset, Joseph's upset, and understandably so. And he comes to this decision about divorcing Mary quietly, and then goes to sleep. He sleeps on it, if you will. And that's when the angel comes, when God finally shows up. Again, Joseph is forced to wrestle with what it means to be good, be a good person, a good man. When life is good, maybe you guys can relate to this, when life is good and humming along nicely, it's easy to be a good person. Wow, look, look how blessed we are. Then in, sometimes we'll say, look, look, look how I am blessing myself, if we're honest. But when the wheels fall off, that's when it's tough. This growing that God allows in us, in Joseph, In and through the wrestle, this growing would have been short-circuited if God had given Joseph the answer up front. The cost of God's revelation, the cost of God's revealing God's self to us, there's always a price. God's always going to ask us to do something. And usually it's really hard. Usually it's really tough. Dallas Willard shares something called the faith of propriety. That's point number four. The faith of propriety. Here's what it is, in in a nutshell. God is good. God wants us to be good. We do good, hopefully praying that God will do good things for us. Joseph struggled with this faith of propriety. Many of us do. I do. The faith of propriety, the faith of respectability or properness. Oftentimes, our faith is based on others' opinions. Others' opinions, man's opinion, women's opinion, not God's. The faith of propriety, it's not a bad thing. It's a way better thing than not caring or doing good for any reason. But it's transactional. 
It's transactional. I, I go up to Starbucks and I want my green tea matcha frappuccino. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I realized that I can say matcha in church. I didn't really know what matcha was, and I thought that was a little stepping out there. But I, I go and pay for my Starbucks. We go and pay for our Starbucks coffee. We pay for Starbucks coffee. Um, I pay for my drink. I get my drink. It's transactional. It's not relational. Uh, faith of propriety can oftentimes be really shallow. We're good people. We do good things. God will bless us with a good marriage, a good wife, a good husband, good kids. They'll all grow up to be good people. Good, good, good. And this faith of propriety works pretty well until the wheels fall off. Especially so when we suffer deeply. We find out life is not working according to the script that we had drawn up. And then we have to dig, find a deeper understanding about what it means to have God with us. Emmanuel. And how do we find God with us? How do we find God with me, Emmanuel, in the mess? If Joseph marries Mary, remember she's pregnant. Pregnant before they come together. Joseph loses his reputation as a good man. He loses friends. He disrupts his family. And as a young carpenter, he probably loses business. His family would look nothing like he thought it would look like. People would talk. When there's a smell of a scandal, people always talk. Joseph not only doubted what Mary told him, Joseph was afraid. And oftentimes in the faith of propriety, we're motivated by what other people say, but we're also motivated by fear. And that brings us to point number five. Oftentimes in the faith of propriety, we divide people, we divide people into us and them. Good people versus bad people. We're the morality police. And I'm not sure why God has set this on my heart, but, but th- this, and, and I'm joking about this, but, but I've become the police of, um, of registrations. I, I will pull up to a light and I will check their registration. And, and if it's expired, I haven't done this yet, but I want to, I want to get out of the car, knock on the window and say, sir, 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 did you know you are, you are 1022? You are way overboard. It's time to get your tags. 523, those are good people. 1022, bad, bad, bad. And I asked our volunteers if, you would, if they would, just to follow up on this, if they would kind of scour the parking lot to see, to see who might be a little bit tardy on the registration. Because we all know that's critical to our faith journey. The, the, and if you have a black Toyota RAV4 license plate, MUQ280, you need to speak to me after church, okay? Uh, <laughs> oh, that, that is my car. That is my car. I'm not quite late. I'm 123, but I'm getting close. Um, just going back to the genealogy of Jesus, we skipped over. That's the first part of Matthew's um, gospel. And it's one that we usually skip over because there's a lot of begats, 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 begats. But if you look at it closely, it's a very interesting part of the story. There's a series of women in that genealogy. And back in the day, in the Hebrews, were not so concerned about the women's side. They were concerned about the man's side. That's where the bloodline followed. And this was not commonplace at all in the ancient Hebrew world. And what's interesting is the women that are named. Rahab and Ruth, Tamar and Bathsheba, or Uriah's wife, and now Mary. At least two of them, at least two of them, they were, they were Gentiles, outsiders. And the other women, there was, a, there was some taint we don't have to go into the detail, but there was some taint to their story. 
And Matthew is writing this story. Matthew, if you remember the story, we looked at it earlier in the fall. Matthew is the tax collector. He knows something about outsiders. And Jesus welcomed him in, welcomed him in to be the part of the 12. And I believe in all my heart, this is God's way of saying, a new day is coming. A new day is coming when we're not going to stand on, on propriety anymore. And anybody, anybody who wants to can just come right in. And God is telling us through Jesus, a new day is coming. The kingdom of God is at hand. There's no more us versus them. Propriety thinks, I'm able to tell divorced people, you know they're bad. Married people, they're good. People have this approach to ideology or politics or religion or even sexuality. But Jesus is going to come along and say, no. I steal this from John Ortberg because I love it. So God is scandalously inclusive. I don't know how to spell it, but, but if you guys, it's not in your notes, but just write that, that down. God through Jesus is scandalously inclusive. He loves the folks on the edge, the crippled, the handicapped, the tax collector, the leper, the prostitutes, the Gentiles, the the sinners. Thank you, Jesus. And they are so close, Jesus says. Their hearts are so longing for God. Jesus says to all of them, yes, yes, yes. Then there are the folks that, that look so holy, so devout, and they fast twice a week and they tithe, and they are so far away. Their hearts are so far away. These folks so consumed with selfishness and judgmentalism and self-righteousness, their hearts are a million miles away from God. God says, no, no, no. Point number six, last point. um, Jesus redefines goodness. Jesus redefines goodness based on the heart. Again, Jesus is shockingly and scandalously inclusive. He loves everybody really loves everybody, wants everybody in the kingdom. It's not the kingdom of propriety anymore. It's the kingdom of God. And all are invited, the prodigals and the prostitutes, the doubters and the debt collectors, the fools and the fishermen, folks that look like you and me. So Joseph's old dream, his old reputation is going to have to die. So something infinitely better can be born in him and in his family in in that journey that God's called him. It's, It's in in his confusion and hurt and uncertainty in Joseph's questions Joseph finally finds God and God finds him I shared at the beginning of this message I'm not sure if I could do what my sister Mary does my wife reminded me and I'm not sure about this that my sister Mary maybe couldn't do what I do and I'm really not sure if that's true here's the picture of Ashika again My sister who teaches in Marietta, Georgia, she asked me if I could play a couple of Christmas songs to her kids over the phone with the guitar. This was this past Wednesday morning. I said, yes, I could not not do it. This past Wednesday morning, we hooked up and we sang Jingle Bells and Silent Night. And for folks who are are keeping score, I've increased my repertoire. I've included Jingle Bells in my guitar repertoire. My sister Mary warned me that the kids might scream during the songs, but that was that way, their way of expressing joy. And on the first chord of Jingle Bells, they start screaming, squealing immediately. (laughs) It did take me off a little bit. Um, When I play guitar for you guys, you guys don't usually scream right away. Um, (laughs) but, But it was their way of expressing joy. And I don't know how my sister does it. And I, I'm so proud of her for what she does. 
She lives out that text from Matthew's gospel. When you did it for the least of these, you did it unto me. Every day, every week, her classrooms are anything but normal. They are messy and loud and oftentimes unruly. They are raw and real, just like the gospel stories. Just like our stories, too, if we're honest. And I texted my sister that night and told her how amazing she is. Yes, these kids are physically challenged, but there's a bunch of stuff that's so hard. Emotional and mental stuff going on with the the classroom. My sister has a team of folks that help her, but she also provides a place for other kids, normal kids, to come and help out. And I love this part. Many of these kids, many of these teenagers struggling to find their place in their high school world, they find a place in my sister's classroom. Misfit toys. Misfit toys helping other misfit toys. And I told my sister, that's church. That's good church. Folks helping out each other. Folks loving on each other. My sister texted me back. She said she provides a place where everyone feels valued. And I texted her back. She said, I said, just like Jesus. And her, her text back to me, valued and accepted. Valued and accepted, amen. Amen? Amen. I'm pretty sure I couldn't do what my sister does. And I'm not so sure if I could have done what Joseph did in our story. God's whisper to Joseph in the dream. God's whisper to us in the mess, don't be afraid. This is not in the gospel stories, but, I, but it could easily be in the story. There's, there's this gap story when, Jesus, when Mary finds out that she's going to be pregnant, and then Mary takes off. I believe the, the gap story was when Joseph learned that Mary was pregnant. And, and Joseph, being as honest as he could, I, I don't buy it, Mary. I don't buy it. I'm, I'm not going to make this a scandal, but I'm, I need to divorce you. And then Mary goes up and sees, goes down really 90 miles. She journeys down to the hill country of Judea, down by Jerusalem, and hangs out with Elizabeth, maybe the only one that could understand what Mary was going through. And in my mind's eye, my mind's eye, um, well, the text says Mary stayed there for three months. Elizabeth was six months pregnant, plus three months. It was right around the time when John the Baptist, baby John, was born. In my mind's eye, see, that's when Joseph journeys the 90 miles down to the hill country of Judea and shows up one day at Zechariah and Elizabeth's door and knocks on the door. And Mary's there helping Elizabeth, and Mary says, who is it? Joseph says, it's me. It's me. And Mary opens the door. Joseph says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's time to go home. It's time to come home. God is way way better than you or I think or imagine. Whatever the mess you find yourself in now, do not be afraid. You may have to struggle. You may be in the dark. You may be confused. You may be hurting. So it's okay. Jesus is coming. He is announcing a new day. Be open and surrender to him. Trust him. You have been abandoned, betrayed, left, rejected. You may be fighting cancer, some terminal illness, failure at work, heartache over a recent loss. God is with you. You are not alone. You and I are not alone. God's invitation to all of us. Come to me all. Come to me all. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to me all. I want to underline all. 
shockingly and scandalously inclusive. He leaves the 99, comes after us.